0: Have you ever experienced the comfort of sleeping on a buckwheat pillow? I hadn't until I received my first hollow Pillow several years ago. I was already familiar with the sensation, having used a versatile brick-shaped pillow filled with buckwheat as my favorite yoga and meditation prop for years. When my hollow Pillow arrived, I was struck by its substantial weight, reminiscent of a large, natural beanbag. The premium quality stitching confirmed its durability, and upon unzipping it, I found it brimming with buckwheat filling, just as expected. Since then, Hullo kindly sent us a second pillow to try, and now we have his and hers Hullos. You too can experience this comfort by visiting hullopillow.com snoozecast for a discount on multiple pillows. So if this sounds like a good deal to you, please go to holopillow.com snoozecast for up to $20 off per pillow when you buy multiple pillows, plus free shipping on every order. Again, that's h-u-l-l-o-pillow.com snoozecast. And in doing so, you'll not only be investing in a good quality natural pillow to help you sleep better, but you'll also be supporting Snoozecast. Now, on to tonight's episode. Welcome to Snoozecast, the podcast designed to help you fall asleep. If you enjoy our show, please write us a review on the Podcasts app. Also, share us with a friend. Find us on snoozecast.com and follow us on Instagram at Snoozecast, on Spotify, Pandora, and the podcast app. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by Flickering Candlelight. Tonight, we'll read part five to The Princess and the Goblin, a children's fantasy novel published in 1872. If you'd like to start from the beginning, the first episode aired on April 15th, 2019. If you'd like to listen to the last episode, Part 4 aired July 3rd, 2020. One of the most successful and beloved of Victorian fairy tales, George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin tells the story of young Princess Irene and her friend Curdie, who must outwit the threatening goblins who live in caves beneath her mountain home. When we left off, Curdie stayed late to mine in the mountain on his own. In the past, he would sometimes hear possible goblin noises. But on this night, he heard an actual conversation between a goblin family through a thin wall of rock. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. your body into the softness of your bed now take a few deep breaths Curtie the courageous minor boy now knew at least one of the reasons the constant sound of the goblin hammers and pickaxes at night when he stayed late to mine they were making new houses for themselves to which they might retreat when the miners should threaten to break into their dwellings but he had learned two things of far greater importance the first was that some grievous calamity was preparing and almost ready to fall upon the heads of the miners. The second was the one weak point of a goblin's body. He had not known that their feet were so tender as he had now reason to suspect. He had heard it said that they had no toes. He had never had opportunity of inspecting them closely enough in the dusk in which they always appeared to satisfy himself, whether it was a correct report. Indeed, he had not been able to even satisfy himself as to whether they had no fingers, although that was also commonly said to be the fact. One of the miners, indeed, who had had more schooling than the rest, was wont to argue that such must have been the primordial condition of humanity, and that education and handicraft had developed both toes and fingers, with which proposition Curdy had once heard his father sarcastically agree, alleging in support of it the probability that mittens were a traditional remnant of the old state of things while the stockings of all ages no regard being paid in them to the toes pointed in the same direction but what was of importance was the fact concerning the softness of the goblin feet which he foresaw might be useful to all miners. What he had to do in the meantime, however, was to discover, if possible, the special evil design the goblins had now in their heads. Although he knew all the gangs and all the natural galleys with which they communicated in the mined part of the mountain, he had not the least idea where the palace of the King of the Gnomes was. Otherwise, he would have set out at once on the enterprise of discovering what the set design was. He judged, and rightly, that it must lie in a farther part of the mountain, between which and the mine. There was yet no...